This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. And welcome to episode number five of Baldy's Breakdowns. The countdown to the NFL season continues, should it happen on time. Baldy, uh, how's go- how's everything going for you? How have you been? And uh, are you social distancing? I am. I uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost becoming cliche here, Jace, but, you know, I, I, I'm in a film room right now, and I'm, I'm in South Florida, so, you know, I'm in a good spot. But, you know, in a film room, uh, I basically practice social distancing every day. So <laughs> I, was actually, I was actually going back and watching Tom Brady's legacy throws in Super Bowl games this morning just to mm-hmm. see just how awesome he was in big spots and in big games. But that being said, I am adhering to all the rules because – I think every day that goes by, we learn something something new about this disease and 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 what we're up against in this virus and just how serious it is. And I think even the people that might have been dismissing it a couple of weeks ago, I mean, nobody can dismiss just uh, how vicious this virus is and just what it's capable of doing right now. And it is affecting everybody everywhere globally. And so we are... You know, the people that are in the front lines of this thing, Jason, and even people here producing with us here today and people that got to actually get out of their house and travel someplace to to help produce a show, put something on. I mean, we got to give them um, all the credit in the world right now during just the just the craziest times that any of us have ever seen. Yeah, you're right about that, Baldy. And, you know, we're going to do everything we can to provide people with a, a good distraction and talk some football. But. You're right. It's more than just uh, you and I talking into a microphone. It's Joey. It's Eli. It's everybody else putting the videos out and everything else. And we certainly appreciate that. And, you know, a tip of the cap to them. Also, tip of the cap to the healthcare workers, the public servants, and everybody no uh, that are putting themselves in harm's way uh, to try and get this pandemic under control. And we're in the teeth of it right now. And certainly a time in our lives that we'll never forget. Uh, but, Baldy, you just alluded to uh, looking at uh, Tom Brady's throws and and i saw that frank reich uh actually had some comments on tom brady and he says it's crazy or on philip rivers rather that uh if you look at the tape on philip rivers you notice that uh, there there's no drop off right now in his ability to 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 throw the ball uh, are you seeing any drop off first of all with brady and his arm strength from where it was earlier in his career what are you seeing on tape from brady that bucks fans can either get excited about or maybe get a little worried about uh, even at age 42, Jason, I think if you had to take one player in this league right now, one quarterback in this league, to basically run a clinic and how to throw a football, it'd be Tom Brady. I mean, his cleats are in the ground. Uh, he he's always seems to be in position to throw it, regardless of how the pocket might be crumbling or whatever maneuvering he has to do to get rid of the ball. I mean, b- between him and Drew Brees, you can't fundamentally – become any more sound about how to throw it. So the fundamentals haven't changed, and the fundamentals allow him to make nearly perfect throws uh, over and over again. And the distance really, to me, is not a factor. This arm strength is there. Uh, when he had Josh Gordon this year, he made a number of deep throws. They they would probably rival just about anything that you've seen him throw, going back to Randy Moss and, and maybe, you know, back to Troy Brown in the very beginning of his of his legacy career, but I, I really don't notice a drop-off um, in his ability to make any kind of a throw. Yeah, and that's a big thing, Baldy. You know, going in there, you know, 
the fan base, the players, the coaches, I'm sure that they, they did their due diligence uh, and they'll change the, the, the chemistry of that locker room in short order by the presence of one guy. Uh, let's talk about Rivers, too. I know you had a chance to look at his stuff, and I just alluded to it. Frank Reich has, uh, has, has said there's no drop-off in his play as well. Um, you've seen something a little bit different? Yeah, I, I mean, I just what I saw last year, uh, as opposed to the year before, I mean, they were 12-4 and four and did win a playoff game the year before and, on the road, and he was outstanding in that year, just and when I saw him in training camp, I thought, man, this is a stacked team. I remember being out there with Daniel Jeremiah and being out there with Tom Tedesco, the, the general manager, and talking, you know, to the coaches. And I, I thought the Chargers were a stacked team when I saw him in Carson in the summer. But then, you know, even the second week of the season against the Detroit Lions, you know, I mean, there was a throw at the end of the game that's intercepted by Darius Slay. And, you know, it just wasn't a it wasn't a good throw. And it wasn't a good decision, especially with more time left on the clock and it wasn't fourth down. It wasn't the final shot. It, they had, there was plenty of time. You know, and we saw it repeatedly. We saw it against the Raiders. We saw it against the Chiefs with the chance to win games or come back in, in games. He was not able to make good throws and good decisions. Now, like, can that go away? Yeah, it can go away because you're not talking about any difference in arm strength or anything like that. His, he still has an uncanny ability to maneuver within a pocket, to fight, you know, big, strong defensive linemen off him and still make throws. That is still there. I think the competitive fire is still there. But he did think about retiring. Uh, he did come out and say that. And, you know, I mean, look, I mean, uh, Frank Reich and the Colts extended him and they gave him the opportunity to come back. And it's kind of hard. I don't care what age you are kind of hard to turn down $25 million and a chance to do it one more time. And so, but there were some questionable decisions at end of games where you go, man, this is, this is not good quarterback play. Yeah, Baldy. And and that's the thing too. We said that in the last episode, I've always been a firm believer that if you're thinking about retiring, you probably should have because you just don't have the same ferocity in your preparation and, and all those things. And you can speak to this Baldy as a, as a former NFL player, um, preparation and the way you prepare mentally for a season, if that's off just a little bit, it certainly affects you physically, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, I always believe that. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Philip Rivers lived a long ways away from the practice facility. Everybody knows that he had, uh, you know, a souped-up SUV with film study, and, you know, he, he made the trek, you know, to practice and back home and got his work done. I don't doubt his ability to sit there and analyze tape and, put together a game plan and know what he likes and what he doesn't like. Um, you know, they, they fired an offensive coordinator during the year. They hired a quarterback coach. And, you know, there were a lot of changes. Things didn't go well for him this year. Uh, they probably lost their best defensive player in Derwin James. And so, you know, there are a lot of things. I mean, nobody ever brings back the same team, regardless of what happened the year before. We see that all the time. But, you know, he's going to get a fresh start in Indianapolis, and it will help that he's very familiar with the language of the offense, the, the, the playbook. Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator, is with, them in, with, the, with the Chargers. So that he does have a great deal of familiarity with what the offense is going to look like, how it's going to be featured, how Frank calls a game. All that stuff, I think, will, will probably help him you know, make this transition whenever that happens. Yeah, and I'm really excited because uh, former uh, Dolphins GM and Jets GM Mike Tannenbaum is going to join us here momentarily, Baldy. 
Um, because, you know, players, a lot of times there's conversations before you make a big acquisition or a signing of a player, the GM, you got to have a little bit of a feel for it, right? Like, is this guy coming here for the money? Is he coming here because he's dying to win? And, and that's a box Rivers hasn't checked just yet. Uh, so Mike Tannenbaum is going to join us momentarily, ESPN analyst now. Uh, but but one of the things, Baldy, and one of our colleagues, Ross Tucker, uh, wrote an article about Bill O'Brien and him being the worst GM of all time. Now, he's got a couple specifics that he points to. Obviously, the clowny deal last year with Seattle, uh, where he ended up on the wrong end of that deal in a big way. And then the DeAndre Hopkins deal this year. And it was really pronounced even after the deal when you see what uh, the Vikings got for Stefan Diggs. Um, but Bill O'Brien, and, and you've said it, Baldy, you can't do both of those jobs. How do the Texans move forward and allow that to continue? Well, I don't agree with Ross being the worst general manager. I mean, he did get the best left tackle in football in Laramie Tunsil, mm-hmm. and that was important. It was a good deal. Um, you know, they, so, but, but, I mean, they had won the division two years in a row. They did win a playoff game this year. It's not like they have tanked because Bill O'Brien's the general manager. They've won games and won the division in back-to-back years. So, uh, you know, I mean, they've had some level of success. Now, you can you can talk about not being able to sign Genevieve Clowney. He, he wasn't off the charts great in Seattle this year. Nobody can really sign him right now. I mean, is that a bad deal? Uh, yes, you can look at the trading away of a star wide receiver, but, I mean, who knows, you know, what his contract demands are going to be. And if they were going to be able to afford the contract demands, because from all, from everything I've read, he wants a new contract. And, you know, players, they have that choice, you know, withhold their services, new contract. I don't know what DeAndre Hopkins is going to get in Arizona if he's getting a new deal, but Bill O'Brien was probably going, look, I, I don't know that we can afford him as good as he is. So let's, let's, it's not the first time teams have traded away a star player because there were going to be a contract coming up that they simply weren't going to be able to afford, and they wanted to get some value for him. Did they get the right value? Probably probably not as much as they could, uh, if you look at Stephon Diggs and what they got. But I'm not going to call him the worst general manager in sports right now. But, but the bigger question is, they need somebody to fill those shoes. I mean, it's just it's an impossible task. It's just too much between free agency, the draft, trades, coaching your team, calling plays. I, I think it's just too big of a plate for anybody to handle. Yeah, and well, the other part of it, too, is, and that Bill O'Brien has to consider, that he's got to pay his quarterback coming up, too. <laughs> you know? It, I mean, his quarterback is not making huge money in the 2020 season. He's only making $4.4 million. Mm-hmm. He's on his, you know, he's on his rookie deal. Yeah, I mean, when he's got, these are things, long-term projections that you got to look at, and you got to figure out how to allocate dollars. It's, it, it is a huge, see, that's the thing. Like, you, you go, well, he's a football coach. I'm sure he's got a cap guy there, though. That's helping them with the numbers, yeah, like yeah. You know, Joe Banner with Andy Reid back with the Eagles way back when. Just so too much no math question. for anyone to handle. <laughs> no, I mean it's a, it's a collaboration, you know, when it, when it comes to the contracts, and uh, I mean just managing the cap is a full time job for really a committee of people at this point. Uh, it's up to 198 plus million dollars uh, this year, so that's encouraging that you know more teams have more money to spend, but. In most teams, like Dallas, I mean, the majority of the money is going to eight or ten players. And so it's still about player development. It's still about finding value. It's still about developing players, regardless of what you can do with your star players. 
Yeah, Baldy, we just got uh, breaking news upon recording. It comes from Ian Rappaport at NFL Network. He said the NFL owners have now confirmed via vote uh, today uh, on today's teleconference that there will be expanded playoffs after the 2020 season, the source said. Expected and now official one more team per conference. Um, do you, are you in favor of the expanded playoffs? It certainly keeps games more compelling down the stretch. Then you couple that with a 17-game season. There's a lot of elements here. I wasn't a, a fan of it. I, I just think it, it just gets too diluted. I mean, there was a point in the AFC last year where we didn't, I didn't think there were six qualified teams, uh, you know, for, for the postseason. Now, Tennessee turned out to be really, really good in the postseason. So that can happen. We've seen that happen before. Uh, but I thought, you know, if we're going to get, if we do get, and it won't be every year, but if you do get to eight and eight teams or teams below eight and eight, I just think that you're going to get diluted. Now, they, they do have, they will have an extra game. The, the number one seed will have the bye uh, in wildcard weekend, but the number two seed will play the number seven. The number three seed will play the number six seed. And the number four seed will play the number five seed. Now there's three games on wildcard weekend which can be fun for all fans. I mean, last last year, it was crazy good, wildcard weekend. I mean, there was four unbelievable games. This year, there'll be six. Um, can all six games be like we saw this year where there were overtime, comeback wins? I mean, all the stuff that we saw was, was you know, it was, it was fantastic for the league. You're not always going to get that. But uh, I wasn't a big fan of extending the postseason to seven teams in each conference. I, I just think there's something about earning that spot. Um, and I thought six was the right number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought the two, the two buys were just fine, but look, it, it, it it's ratified. It's passed. We're on to it now. And so uh, we'll see just, you know, it'll, I, I think week 17 will be even more competitive than it already has been trying to find the seven teams that are qualified. Yeah, and fighting for that bye. Ian Rapport uh, tweets further and says that this likely makes regular season games more important for all with top teams fighting for the one seed per conference to get that bye that you just alluded to, Baldy. And then also, had this been adopted in 1990, just 1.6% of teams would have had a losing record and got in. A bunch more 10-win teams, obviously, would have gotten in. So, you know, we'll see. You know, the NFL playoffs, we've seen teams like the Giants, who a 9-7 and seven regular season get into the playoffs and battle their way to a Super Bowl two times over the Patriots and do it on the road. So uh, this could get uh, you know more markets involved, and it really means more money's involved as well. Well, it's an extra game. And so there's a question, do they play the three games, um, you know, each on, or do they, you know, they take the two games and, you know, and then put one on a Monday night, which they're talking about, and, Mm-hmm. taking it Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of flexibility here with the television partners about what to do with the games and how to get them televised. And I'm sure that's the next step now that this is ratified. Well, but is this an indication, too, that they're definitely going to go to the 17 games the following season in 2021? This is a lot of changes to the NFL. And sometimes you got to take baby steps when you're making changes. But if you go to 17 games, then the extra team all in one year, that's a lot of change in one season for the NFL. Do you expect that to be the case in 2021? Well, I mean, you know, we got to find out. It's a, it is. It is all that, Jason. Um, and so, but the big thing right now is, you know, does this season, the 2020 season, have a chance of starting on time? Because it's it's very much in doubt right now. 
with yeah. COVID-19 and just the dangers of it and when it is going to be safe to come back and all the other things that all the other leagues have talked about now since they shut them down. But, you know, when can you bring the fans back? When's it going to be safe to play? When's it going to be safe to run a training camp? And, you know, and are we looking at pushing this thing back and or reducing the number of games in the season? You know, I played in two truncated seasons, Jason. I, I played in the season in 1982 because of strikes where we played a nine-game regular season and a full postseason. You know, and in, in 1987, we played, a, you know, we played scab games, but we played one fewer uh, game that year. And so I think that's a real possibility right now. I don't, I'm not here to, to basically spread fear amongst all NFL fans, but it's something that has to be discussed and is being discussed. And just when this, you know, when this thing is going to be safely calmed down to the point where we can fire up real football engines and start training camp and training and, and then, you know, when's it going to be safe to play games? So I think all that is on the table, you know, amidst, uh, you know, the worst, the worst pandemic that we have ever seen. Hey, Baldy, before we get to Mike Tannenbaum, uh, what about the draft? We're getting closer and closer here. And, uh, you know, I, I know teams are hamstrung in, in the way that they can obviously interview players, can't work them out. There's so many things and variables to this right now. Is it prudent upon the NFL to maybe – uh, postpone this draft, move it back. Can they do that? There's a lot of moving parts here. I think they want to stay with the dates right now, you know, starting April 23rd, about three and a half weeks from now, Jason. I mean, I think they want to stay on schedule. I think they think it's therapeutic in some ways, you know, for fans to really look forward to it. I don't know how they know, how they're going to televise it yet. And I think they're looking at, what all the news stations are doing on a nightly basis with it, CBS news and um, Lester Holt and what they're doing, you know, and how they're doing it and what the commissioner would, his role would be is, is he he's still going to announce all the first round picks and how they're going to do that with players and uh, interviews and uh, analysis, you know, what Rich Eisen and Daniel John Meyer would do for my network. I, I think that's all sort of at play right now, which leads me to believe that, and it seems like it's really, really going to get rushed here very quickly if they haven't figured a lot of the, the technical things out right now. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly the case. Mike, let's let's start off with, uh, you know, how these teams are, your former GM, how are they operating in this current environment? You, you're preparing for the draft. They're preparing for the draft. Just how much of a, a hindrance and, handicap is it to, to be dealing with this situation and the lack of being able to bring guys in and, and every element of it for this uh the draft which is supposed to take place in three and a half weeks yeah so uh maybe i could give you a good story to illustrate the the challenge i was fortunate enough to be with a group of guys in 07 when we traded up for darrell Rivas and, and the when he came out that year guys he was a very late declaring junior and going back to the old big east there weren't a lot of good receivers that year so there wasn't a lot known about him and he was um, someone that didn't work out the combine. So there wasn't a lot of information on him. We did interview him for 15 minutes, but we brought him in for part of the pre-draft process. And he met with the whole staff, spent the whole day there. And after he left our facility, that's why we had the comfort to trade up for him. So that's a big part of the discussion going on right now is I think what we're going to see is we're going to see, Guys from bigger schools, even backups, get overdrafted 
And I think we're going to see late declaring juniors and smaller school guys get underdrafted this year. Yeah, I was just curious, Mike. I mean, I, you know, we, we had Peter King on last week, uh, Mike, and we were just, you know, just kind of talking about if you're Cincinnati with the number one pick and you're, and you're potentially going to put your franchise in the hands of Joe Burrow uh, and you have spent 15 minutes with them at the Combine but have never brought them to your building, have never been around them, uh, you know, nothing. And yet you may turn the reins over your franchise and trying to turn the franchise around with the guy you spent 15 minutes with. It seems almost like nobody would do that in any business. Yet that's what teams are faced with right now. Well, Lee, that's exactly right. And look, video conferencing obviously helps. We're living in a new world. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't dismiss it because I, I was uh, actually on a call and present something just uh, it was interesting like you can rec uh there's certain things you can sort of replicate but part of it you can't if you were hiring i think your point is really well made baldy which is if you're hiring a ceo you're yeah. looking in the eye multiple times and right now that's hard to do right what what so in that process just Finish up that story, Mike. Just in that process in 2007 with Darrell Rivas, obviously, you know, he was um, the best corner that we've seen in the last, you know, 13 years here coming to this league. But when, what was it when you looked him in the eye or Rex or whoever, Mike, who was it? What was it that was said where you really got the confirmation that this guy is going to be worth this trade and this move and we're going to end up building an entire defense around this guy's talents? You know, Baldy, that's a great question. Of all things, um, and it actually was Coach Manjini, who was a head coach at the time. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Rex will want everybody on the planet to, you know, think that he has <laughs> you know, maybe even more. You know, <laughs> I don't want to shortchange Eric in that deal there, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was all things was uh, one of the big things that our staff, we all it was his relationship with his mom and how important his mother was to him. And we knew that, you know, one of the things that we always try to deal, drill down in the pre-draft process is, hey, when you hit a bump in the road and you have a bad day, who do you call? Who do you lean on? Because, you know, Baldy, as you well know, like a lot of pro football is how you deal with adversity and, and your mental toughness and your infrastructure. And we left that day like blown away by Darrell, his character, his background, his relationship with his mother, and felt mm -hmm. like, you know, the tape was good. The workout was incredible. And that all kind of came out over the course of eight to 10 hours. And I'll give you, a, you know, a, a very similar situation or a different, but similar lesson was in 2016. I was at the dolphins and Larry Tunsil was the first pick in uh, on our board, number one yeah. guy. And shortly before the draft, you know, there was a video that came out, obviously Larry had hit a, you know, a, a bump in the road and we were able to get the best player on the board at 13 because yeah. We, we had really good information about his character and his background. And now you fast forward, he's a good player. He's a good person. And the point being is you got to be ready to go because so many unexpected things are going to happen on draft day. Well, th that's one of the things too, Mike, that, you know, some of these teams at the top of this draft are, are facing as well with Joe Burrow or Tua. Um, there's only so you said, you know, through eight hours with Revis is where you really felt comfortable. Nobody's sitting on a zoom conference call probably for eight hours to gain that information. Um, those teams just got to roll with their gut in this situation? Yeah, I think it's more than gut, though. I think it's your. this is where you put a premium on your area scouts, meaning they have to have institutional relationships at their schools with 
the trainer, the equipment guy, all the support staff, because one of the fundamental tenets I really believe in is who you are in life is how you treat people that can't help you. The waiter, the waitress, the driver, that's who you really are. And it's critical that the area scouts have great information sources to really find out who these guys are. Mike, does this situation that we're in right now, forget about the virus and, and all of the problems that is causing everybody. But if you go back to 2011, Mike, when there was a lockout and, you know, everybody, the free agency had not happened and we had kind of a, a rush free agency and then training camp and then the season. Um, was there any type of contingency plans that you were making with the Jets at that point, Mike, that you felt is is almost a carryover to what teams might be fronted with this year once this thing does begin to get resolved? Yeah, no question about it. I think one of the big differences between the two is, one, in that situation, we could have contact with the players. Yeah. Uh, this one, obviously, can, it's, it's a different medium. But I've already heard one team use the expression, we're going to try to win the weight, meaning, like, look, we're playing the fall. We can't wait. In fact, it's exactly what the, uh, our country is going to need is NFL games. But don't be the guy that has a soft tissue injury or wasn't ready to go because you didn't take care of your body. Uh, in the offseason. So I think from a standpoint, you know, structure is really important. Coaches, I know, are checking out with their players across the league. Um, so it's like a new normal. And whereas in going back to the lockout, that was like, hey, we were we ran a million scenarios. We were ready to go, but we didn't know what it was going to break. And that was um, really the problem at the end of the day was the, the uncertainty and not talking to players. This is a little bit more of like, within this paradigm, try to have as much structure as possible. Hey, Mike, uh, let me take you back a couple weeks, because free agency this year, me and Baldy talked about it, and it's been widely talked about. It was sensational. It was crazy with the big names moving from Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins, and then you, a couple Rivers and Brady. Now Cam Newton's available, and everything happened. And talking to uh, your your fellow brethren, general managers that are that you know running a team right now, and and even for yourself, uh, you would have really kind of relished a, a, a free agency period like this, wouldn't you? And you know it's a lot of fun with these big names, but you can also make big mistakes. No question, and I think. One of the fundamental tenets uh, that I learned, and, and candidly, I, I sometimes uh, some of the deals I wish I could have had back is you want to pay for future performance, not past performance. And what I mean by that, you don't want to bring in a brand name, a guy like like Philip Rivers. And what's the 2020 edition of Philip Rivers going to look like? And I think that's so critical because you can easily get uh, caught up with the brand name of someone like him and and realize like he he's not the same player. Now, with that said, I do think he's in the best position to be successful because he has that great offensive line. But, um, you know, Philip Rivers is obviously, you know, close to the end here and, and durability will be a, a huge factor for him. Mike, when you let's, uh, let's look ahead here to this draft. I know that you've done, you know, extensive work on a lot of these kids coming out right now. You looked at the college tape, you looked at the, the combine numbers it looks like, you know, I mean, obviously the quarterbacks always drive the draft, Mike. So talk about some of these quarterbacks and what teams might be getting, starting with Joe Burrow and Tua, you know, down to Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. And, you know, I'm a big fan, huge fan of Jalen Hurts. But how would you look at this draft here, Mike, if you were in a position to, 
to maybe turn your franchise around? And which one would you want? Yeah, well, I really like Burrow for the obvious reasons. Um, the, the, this statistic was remarkable. He was 77% this year against zone coverages, which is that's great for a practice, let alone SEC defenses. So I like him a lot, Baldy. My biggest concern, though, would be, A, how come he could have beat out Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett at Ohio State, yep. knowing how good of a coach Urban Meyer is? And why was his production so pedestrian last year at LSU? So I like him a lot, but that would be the concern. And then uh, for me, well, you know. Wait, wait a second, Mike. Wait, wait, can I just interrupt there? Because, I, I mean, it is it is striking, Mike, striking about both those things that you just said. And though, how how does a team, or how would you, wrap your arms around that? A one-year, I mean, when you say sensational, he was sensational. And every game, like an MV, like it would be like what Mahomes did two years ago. I mean, it was just that good. But yet, it wasn't that good prior to that. How do you, what would the conversation be like in a war room or amongst your scouts, Mike, or your coaching staff, when you have a player like that? Yeah, you really need to drill down on what happened there. Injuries, other players, uh, was there a family situation, a personal situation? Like, you want to take as deep a dive as possible in, in looking at that. So that, that would certainly be um, – I would not feel comfortable turning the card without really having that answered. And even going back to his year last year, he was pedestrian. Like, if you talk to a lot of scouts, he was, you know, at best like a fourth or a fifth-round pick coming into the season. So – I don't think he's Andrew Luck or, you know, a John Elway once-in-a-lifetime transformational talent. I think he has a chance to be a really good player. But he lined up every week, guys, with better skilled players that other teams could defend. Um, and we can't forget that either. Uh, as it relates to Tua, I would just say, you know, the obvious is the hip. He reminds me a lot of Drew Brees because he's not that tall, but he's a classic pocket passer. He throws it over the top. And I think he has great anticipation, but... You know, if we were running a, uh, an auto insurance company and somebody came in with a clean driving record or somebody came in with three accidents, we'd feel a better bet would be on the one with the clean driving record. And he's had three different injuries. That, that, that is a big, big concern. Um, so I like the player, but it's it's a concern just given the fact that um, he's had three injuries. Okay. Mike, in, in today's NFL, you know, with the salary cap and players making so much money, when you have a young quarterback and he's on a rookie deal, is is that a still a huge opportunity with, you know, young players come in now more ready to play in a lot of instances than ever before. That that opportunity before you got to pay them the huge contract, is that the time to, to, to get something done and really make a run at it before you're paying the big money? I think so. I think that's right. I think windows open and close uh, pretty quickly in the NFL. And we've seen, you know, rookie deals like Russell Wilson having great teammates and the marks on like his own world. And then both guys leave from extension. And I think that's right. I think Patrick Mahomes of Kansas City, um, you know, we'll see what happens, obviously, with Dak Prescott. But Deshaun Watson, like, I agree. I think windows open and close. Mike, the other position in this draft is wide receiver. And it looks awfully deep, but you never know about a lot of these players, the systems they come out of. Um, can you can you give us your top five receivers in a, in a draft that looks so deep at this point right now, Mike? If you were looking to add firepower to your offense, would you start with Ruggs? Do you like Judy? Yep. 
as an all-around player? Which which one? Because it looks like to me, Ruggs is even faster than Tyreek Hill, but might be a more polished player than him. Yeah, he nailed it for me. I, I think Ruggs won because he is Tyreek Hill. Let's go back to the Super Bowl. The difference in the game was the more two plays Hill made, and um, I think Ruggs has incredible toughness to go with that speed. And um, I, I just uh, I, I like Judy a lot. C.D. Lamb is remarkable. So in my order, I have Ruggs, Judy, and then C.D. Lamb because it's remarkable how tough C.D. Lamb is and how slightly built he is. You know, I've seen him up close, and he plays. He really can has great ball skills, contested catches, but he's slightly built and can really make people um, miss and, and break tackles. So those three, and then the other guy I really like a lot is Michael Pittman because I love his physicality. Um, you know, his dad played in the league, USC. They had yeah, USC. Play. Yeah, I, I like him a ton. So, to me, th- those would be, I- I- in that order, those are the guys that I like. Mike, who's the uh, next quarterback of the uh, New England Patriots? Is it Cam Newton? You know what's interesting about that is um, there was a very underrated move last year that got no attention, and I, I should have paid more attention to it myself. You know, on Labor Day, they cut Brian Hoyer. They went to see him with Tom Brady and Jarrett Stidham. And I think that bears noticing from a standpoint of there was something they liked a lot about him to keep him as a rookie. So um, I thought Dalton would be the guy that they could maybe pair with Stidham. But I, I don't think we could rule out Jarrett Stidham starting for New England. I, I really don't. I mean, I think that move last uh, August is illustrative of their thought process. You know, I'm a big Jared Stidham fan, Mike. I, I, I do big 12 games on Saturday, and I remember when Art Browles recruited him to Baylor, and that situation, of course, you know, went, went sour pretty quick. But, you know, he had to transfer out. But I remember doing some of his games early on, his freshman year at Baylor, and, and looking at him and, and just how high um, Art Browles was on him. I mean, even higher on him than RG3, who won the Heisman Trophy there, all that. But – what I was getting to here, Mike, is I'm just – I think we're all kind of fascinated by what New England does um, constantly because of the level of success that they've had. And I'm just wondering, Mike, if maybe Belichick has looked at all of these quarterbacks that are getting $30-plus million a year right now and saying, regardless how good they are, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, pick a name, and going, you know what, it, we're going to have – diminishing returns because we can't build a good enough team around these guys. And so I'm curious if, if he does decide to go with Stidham and maybe draft a guy or find somebody else in the back, whatever it is, if he can take that money, build a better team um, around the quarterback, and maybe that's the direction that he's going to set an example for, for other teams so that they don't get so top-heavy with the quarterback right now. Any any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I think there's something to that, and I don't think it's by accident that they kept Joe Cooney and Devin McCourty. And, look, they lost a couple of other players, but those, those two are, are rock-solid foundational players, Matthew Slater. Um, I think there's something to be said that if you can get B-plus production out of uh, Jared Stidham for the rookie minimum and you feel like, Tom Brady was an A minus and he was $25 billion. You could make the argument that if Stidham is ascending, um, and I'm not making this, but I'm surmising that they could be that a young Jared Stidham who's cheap and ascending 
and you could add guys like McCourty and Tooney, you're better off than Tom Brady, who's obviously aging and declining. So I'm sure that was part of their calculus. Yeah, and you know the one thing too, Mike, when you look at the the, the pandemic issue that we're in right now, and all of these moves. And so much change with big players. As a GM, would you be worried that, you know, with the offseason program being disrupted, that some of these teams with a lot of change are going to be a little behind the eight ball because they don't have, they're not going to be able to get guys together to go out to throw or, you know, to, to bring everybody out to Arizona and go throw or whatever and not have the offseason program that you would normally have. And with a lot of change, you, you need that chemistry plus training camps now. Uh, you know, you don't you, you don't hit as much and those kind of things. So you get a lot of work done in you know before you even get the training camp. Yeah, I think Mar- Marcus Mariota and Tom Brady were the only two quarterbacks that signed this offseason that didn't have some connection to a member of the coaching staff, either from mm-hmm. pro or college. And I don't think that's by coincidence. You know, Joe Brady and uh, Teddy Bridgewater. You could just go on and on and on. Kyle Allen, Washington, um, and I don't think that's by accident for the the reasons you just stated. Mike, is there a landing spot for Cam Newton and James Winston that you see right now? Obviously, somebody has to find out if Cam Newton is really healthy. You go back to, you know, the middle of 2018, Carolina was 6-2, and two, and they looked like a pretty good football team. I saw them come from 17 down in Philadelphia to beat the Eagles that day, and Cam was outstanding. But – what do you think about two guys that were former number one picks that haven't been in the league 10 years yet that uh, are sitting out there on the outside right now looking in, going, where where can I go compete right now? I, I like James Winston to Pittsburgh, maybe on a one-year deal where he could sit behind Roethlisberger, learn, you know, he's certainly more talented than Mason Rudolph and, you know, Doug Hodges. So to me, that one makes a ton of sense. And, you know, James is only 26, so – he has a long, long trajectory in terms of he can just clean up some of those mistakes. And then, um, you know, in terms of Cam, you know, that's interesting. I'm not really sure yet, you know, the, the you know possibility to New England to be as intriguing because he could do so many things that obviously Tom Brady, despite Tom's greatness, that he couldn't do. And I, I wonder if that's a little bit in the back of uh, Coach Belichick's mind. And then, you know, the other thing to do would be to wait. And, you know, we saw a number of years ago, Somebody like Sam Bradford go to uh, Minnesota on training camp during that trade with uh, Philadelphia because Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt and and is he better off you know just picking a spot uh, when something happens? So um, he may have to be a little bit more patient than maybe he thought he was going to have to be. Mike, as a former GM, uh, the NFL making some um, more changes uh, coming up beyond this season. Uh, it looks like there's going to be uh, an extra team added in each conference to the playoffs. And if owners have confirmed uh, via the vote today that uh, after the 2020 season, uh, there will be another playoff team in each conference. There'll be one team that receives the bye. There's going to be three games on Saturday, January 9th, and another three games on Sunday, January 10th. Same format, but just one bye per conference. As a former GM, do you like this? Uh, do you like the fact that more teams get involved? I know GMs like making the playoffs because that's job security, so that's got to be considered. Yeah, I, I do like it. I think what happens, though, like if you take the NFC right now, guys, with that one team that has the bye, you know, when it comes to playoffs time and late December, I think it comes down to two ages, health and home field. So I think the one team that gets the bye, because you could take 
my opinion, New Orleans and Green Bay and San Francisco, Seattle, Philadelphia, I think they're all really close to each other. And I think the one team that gets the bye at home field is going to have a huge advantage. I agree with that, Mike. No, they can be a huge advantage. Mike, listen, we took up a lot of your time. We've, we've talked a lot of football here in a very brief period of time. We really appreciate you joining us here on this episode here, Mike. And we wish you and your family, like, really all the safety and, and health that you could possibly have here in, in some trying times. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. And I uh, lo- love the work that you guys put out. And uh, to you and your family as well, uh, just be safe, healthy, and hopefully we get back to normal uh, sooner than later. You got it, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, thanks. Mike. All right, Baldy, uh, Mike Tannenbaum, great stuff. Uh, you like Jameis to Pittsburgh, huh? It makes a lot of sense. I mean, we saw what happened. I mean, I was there in Pittsburgh this year when when Ben didn't come out and play the second half of the second game of the season against Seattle, and we saw the uphill climb that that team made all year. But I think, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin, uh, that offensive line, uh, watching Ben go to work, uh, just kind of sitting back and, Maybe get an opportunity the way Ryan Tannehill got an opportunity in, in Tennessee this year. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, he could get on the field this year and maybe secure that job for maybe a number of years uh, if he could cl- really clean up, uh, you know, the turnover. So I, I, I do like that fit. I think that's a good fit for him. And, and maybe that's what he's going to have to do, just sit for a year uh, or sit behind a guy and when he gets his opportunity, really shine. Yeah, it's interesting too, but well, you know, you know, Roethlisberger's talked about being at the end several times, so we know, and we know just look, look by his age and and the wear and tear that he's not going to be around much longer, and he's a guy that tends to not, you know, miss time in the season, so it could be a perfect opportunity for a guy like Jameis. And as Mike said, only twenty six years old, there's a lot of a lot of tread left on that tire when it comes to Jameis Winston if he can be uh, a reclamation project for sure. All right, Baldy, the time has come. Episode okay. five. Yeah. F- five questions for Baldy. And we got a curveball this time because the boys uh, solicited on Twitter for some questions for Baldy. And we got a couple that we're going to answer from uh, people that consume the podcast. And you'll answer their questions. How about that? Sounds good to me. And we'll start with those. Uh, Super Youper on Twitter. <laughs> Great name, by the way. He says uh, uh, in five questions for Baldy, question number one, what kind of player are the Colts getting in DeForest Buckner? Well, when DeForest Buckner was coming out of Oregon uh, four years ago, he was coming out with a really uh, just a stacked uh, group that year. Uh, I thought he was the most dominant defensive lineman in the draft. And, you know, two years ago, he had 15 sacks, and he was that. And, you know, last year he teamed next to Nick Boza, and they were a dynamic uh, duo. I, he, you know, he's, he's a guy that can play a lot of snaps. He, he's in really good uh, condition. Um, he's got a, a big, strong, powerful Polynesian frame, um, and he hasn't been hurt. I mean, they're getting an elite interior pass rusher right now that can beat double teams and slide protections. Uh, I think that uh, they did their homework when they were giving up the 13th pick for DeForest Buckner. I think it's going to make Justin Houston better, and I think the Colts' defense got better as a whole. I mean, six foot six. Uh, he's got long arms. He gets his hands in the face of quarterbacks, and he can collapse a pocket. I, I think there's a lot to like about the move that the Colts made. Yeah, and it looks like the Colts are pushing a lot of chips into the center of the table to try and get something done, bringing in Phillip Rivers. They're, they're going for it, aren't they? Well, I, you know, I, I think that they feel like 
they've been building a good team. Uh, the offensive line is elite. Um, every year, to me, is you've got to go for it every year. I, I don't think you can step back, even in the loss of Andrew Luck's retirement last year. I don't think you can ever step back. Um, two years ago with Andrew Luck, they went to Houston, won a playoff game. Um, you know, they didn't play well against Kansas City the following week. But, you know, I think they feel like they're in the, a postseason team. And if you can get to the postseason, anything can happen. If, if you have a, a hot quarterback and a strong defense, then you can you can make magic in the postseason. Uh, let's go to question number two. Five questions for Baldy. It comes uh, via Twitter as well from Trent Manzanti. Mazanti, I hope I said it right, Trent. Uh, you deserve to have your name uh, read correctly. And here's his question, Baldy. Can Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen win the NFL MVP? Well, I, I don't say I don't want to say either guy can't win it. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Uh, you got just look at past winners. I mean, Lamar Jackson was the best player on the field nearly every single week for the entire season. Mm-hmm. The year before, Patrick Mahomes put up numbers that no. You know, two players in the history of the game had done. And he was the best player in the field every week. So you look at these MVP guys. It's not like they had a stretch of games they were good. I mean, when Cam Newton was the MVP uh, five years ago, I mean, he was he was dominant every single week. There wasn't a throw he couldn't make. He threw for 35 touchdowns around for 10. So if you're going to say Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen MVP, they have to be better than they are right now. Um, and I'm not saying they can't get there, but they have to be dominant, like literally dominant every single – you can't take weekends off. you got to be dominant every single week. And I just think that they've got a ways to go before you can even discuss them in the MVP cat, uh, you know, category. Yeah, and it's funny because every year there's a guy that gets up into that conversation, doesn't necessarily win it, but gets into that conversation. A couple years ago, like you alluded to, it was Patrick Mahomes, and we know what he is. And, uh, you know, you talk about guys like, you know, Carson Wentz through 13 games a couple years ago, put himself in that conversation. Is he a guy that can return to that? And you also got to consider for both of those players the competition in the field. And Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are certainly going to be in that conversation again, barring injury. And if they, you know, continue you know, their arc of the way they've played in the NFL. So it, it, it'll be interesting. Both have the skill sets, but do they have yeah, any team success there too, don't you? Oh, yeah, there's no question. I mean, if you just look at, you know, Mahomes and you look at Lamar, just those two, or, you know, Cam Newton, they were 15-1. and one. Yeah. Um, You know, the team is going to uh, – they're, they're going to respond. I mean, you're going to, you're going to raise the level of play around you to such a degree where you start acting like Baltimore did last year where nobody can beat you for 12 games in a row. Yeah. Question number three, five questions for Baldy. Uh, Baldy, this is one I, I want to draw on your playing days here because, you know, we just talked about it with Mike Tannenbaum. We've been talking about it in every episode about high-profile players uh, changing their address from uh, Stefan Diggs and Hopkins. And, we, you know, we just talked about, you know, DeForest Buckner. You're talking about big-time players, not to mention guys like Rivers, Brady, maybe Cam Newton, where he ends up and how that plays out. But, you know, one player getting uh, entering a locker room changes the dynamic in a big way. What's one time in your career where one player that changed on a team really changed the dynamic, not only of the locker room, but the franchise? Uh, I got to say, I mean, I think when Eric Dickerson went to Indianapolis, I mean, they Oof. didn't win the Super Bowls, but I mean, he changed that franchise immediately. Ron Meyer had coached him at SMU and traded for him from the Rams. And I think, you know, I, I played with Eric there in Indianapolis. Uh, he won the rushing title, I think, twice when I was there. 
I mean, we were, it, it just changed that franchise right away. But, you know, I mean, the day that Reggie White went to the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, it changed the franchise. Now, they, they didn't win Super Bowls, but, you know, we're, they changed the franchise and they became a winning franchise. We won a playoff game with Reggie and then he went to Green Bay and, you know, they brought, you know, another title to Titletown USA. So uh, I, I think it's, you know, a guy like Reggie White or Eric Dickerson, we're talking about Hall of Fame talents now. Yeah. I mean, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame talents. I mean, when they change teams, I mean, they just change everything about your team. I mean, they change practice. They change the fans' perspective. They change uh, swag, swagger, the whole swag. I mean, they change everything the moment they walk in that door. Yeah, like when Joe Montana goes to the Chiefs or Jerry Rice ends up in Seattle or, you know, despite the fact that, that, you know, their best playing days are behind them, but still just the presence of certain guys. And, you know, you know when a, a guy like Eric Dickerson walks into that locker room, you're looking at him like, oh, my God, it's Eric Dickerson. You know, <laughs> even though you're an NFL player, you still got, I mean, this is Eric Dickerson. This is it's, it's one thing like even walk in the locker room, but you're in the huddle with Eric Dickerson, and he yeah. honestly believes, regardless who you're playing against, that he's, he could score from anywhere on the field, and he could. And he was you right. just never know when he was going to get, you know, just break break one off. And, you know, once he got in the open field, nobody was going to catch him. So, I mean, he was, I mean, he was, you know, there was an eight-year stretch there where there was very few players in the league that could match the talent that Eric Dickerson had. Yeah, for people listening, if uh, under quarantine right now or stay-at-home restrictions, if you want to, you know, kill an hour or so. Just uh, go to YouTube and type in Eric Dickerson highlights if you don't know what Baldy's talking about. He was sensational. Okay. Uh, question number four and uh, five questions for Baldy. Should the NFL have a separate cap, Baldy, for the quarterback on each team? The quarterback group. Mm, well, I understand why you would do it. But to me, I don't know, where, where are you capping right now? Because if you said, okay, 40 million, somebody's going to pass 40 million. It might be Mahomes. So mm -hmm. 40 million seems outrageous. You know, the Patriots right now have a rookie quarterback or going into a second year on a, you know, a fourth round picks contract. Uh, it seemed, you know, one team is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. One team might end up spending $40 million. I'm not sure how you, you structure that, Jason. I, I don't think that we're ready for that yet. But I think that's part of the challenge right now is mm -hmm. how do you how do you pay Carson Wentz and still build a football team? How do you you know, how do you take care of Russell Wilson and what he's accomplished in Seattle and still build a really good football team? You know, you can't keep Earl Thomas and you can't keep a lot of good players. So um, I think that's part of the challenge of general managers and capologists and smart people to be able to balance all of that. And so I don't see that happening anytime soon. And still field a team that can win a Super Bowl. Uh, final question, five questions for Baldy. Here is number five. Baldy, uh, we're all entrenched, obviously, in the pandemic. We've talked about it on this episode and others. Um, and you love football. You ooze it. If you could close your eyes right now and transport yourself months down the road to one football, college or pro, where's your happy place where you go, I can't wait to be sitting in the booth or at that stadium once this pandemic ends, where, where are you transporting yourself to to help you get through this time? Put me, put me, um, I, you know, put me in the NFL, but, you know, put me on the field with Brady against Breeze this year or oh. Brady against Aaron Rodgers this year or, you know, Brady against Matt Ryan. You know, uh, they're going to see each other, you know, four times between Ryan and Breeze. But awesome. put me, put me in that 
Put me in that stadium. Let me announce that game that day. Put me in Raymond James Stadium with Brady against Breeze. And I, I promise you, I promise you, I won't screw it up. Um, you know, I mean, you're just looking at two guys going to get, it's just going to be, you know, a, a shootout at the OK Corral. It's going to be awesome theater. And it doesn't get any better when you get great quarterbacks, um, you know, running these offenses right now back and forth against each other. Is one of your favorite things to do on game day has got to be, you know, before the stadium fills to go down and, you know, players are starting to loosen up and go down on the field and it's a little cooler in the morning and walk around the field and talking to guys. You got to enjoy that, right? Well, I call it Baldy's Walk. I do it every Sunday and I've done it for the last five weeks, Jason. I, I tell you, I remember this. I remember the Chicago Bears two years ago were going to play in San Francisco and I had never really talked to Khalil Mack. So I talked to some people in Chicago, and they're like, yeah, you, you like, Khalil's pretty cool before, you know, before a game. But you just, I just got to warn you, like, he gets out there four hours before wow. kickoff. So I, I purposely leave my hotel five hours before 1 o'clock kickoff. So I leave at 8 in the morning. And sure enough, I get to the booth, and I'm, I get a cup of coffee, and I see Khalil Mack walking down on the field at around uh, 8.30 like four and a half hours before kickoff. So I, I went down there and I met him. And I ended up talking to Khalil Mack. Like, really, he was kind of stretching and warm up for at least a half an hour. Told me, you know, everything he liked about Vic Fangio and what, you know, what happened in, in Oakland. I mean, I felt like I got 30 of the best minutes you could get with Khalil Mack. And to this day, we, we have a really good relationship from that one, from that one time. But, yeah, that, that, that two hours or two and a half hours before game day is – my favorite two and a half hours of the week. Yeah, that, that's tremendous stuff, and that's how you get you, know, you get great information and real conversations, Baldy. That that's yeah, what you yeah, get so much insight out I of. I get guys in their element. They're, most of them are pretty relaxed. You can pretty much talk to just about any guy. I mean, you can talk to Drew Brees before he gets once he gets in his routine. Forget it. But you can catch him before his routine, and you can get Drew Brees on some of the things that he's facing game day that day, or um, you know, just anything from the game plan. I mean, you 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 can talk to Drew like that. Yeah, it's tremendous stuff. It's great insight that you get in those in those situations. And, and Baldy, I hope, uh, and I know everybody does, that we hope that you're doing that soon enough, man. And we're all yeah, back to normal. Yeah, I mean, people people are having a thirst for sports right now like uh, we've never seen before because we've never had it all taken away at the same time. And uh, we're hoping to get it back and hopefully come NFL draft night, if they do keep it, Baldy, we're, we're in a better situation. We're trending in a much better direction. In the meantime, you stay safe, all right? You stay healthy. We need you healthy. Let's do it, Jason. I look forward to, uh, you know, hopefully getting on top of this thing as a really as a global community right now. Uh, and hopefully we have better news uh, next Tuesday when we reconvene and we start talking some football. But this was good today, Jason. It was uh, it filled a little void in my life. So, man, great spending time with you. Look forward to next week. Yeah, and thanks to Mike Tannenbaum for joining us as well. Thanks to uh, Eli and Joey uh, producing this program as well. And we'll talk to you next time on Episode 6 of Baldy's Breakdowns. Thanks for listening, everybody.